You're listening to Jumping the Wealth Curve with your host, Edward Bow. For most of my life, I've been riding and racing dirt bike motorcycles. So it was natural to say, Jumping the Wealth Curve. So I'm jumping something all the time on the dirt bike. Now, here's your host, Ed Bow. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Jumping the Wealth Curve podcast. Today's topic real estate, where we are and where we're going. This has been a popular conversation that's been going on, not only with my clients, but even family members. So, you know, with everything that's happened uh, post-COVID and the environment, everybody uh, is kind of thinking about housing prices and and the affordability of it and everything else. So I thought I'd kind of go into a little uh, discussion about this. And let me say, these are all my opinions. It's not representative of, of anybody I work with or the firm I, I, I represent. This is just strictly me talking and my opinions and what I think is going on out there in the real world. So what my objective today is, is to really talk about home prices, interest rates, what can you afford? And we're going to bring it up with the Fed at the end. So let's get into this. It shouldn't be too long. I got a lot of information I want to get through. So uh, let's talk about interest rates. We're at a 22-year high on the 30-year fixed. I remember looking back in August, it was at 7.49% in that neighborhood. Um, We are up to 7.9% right now. So uh, that I believe is the 22 year high. That that's kind of crazy, right? Um, I believe give you another little data tidbit. I think 15 years ago we were around the six percent level. So it's important to understand because what some people feel is the what a normal interest rate should be and what you know what they've gone through are kind of two different things right now. I, I talked to uh, some of my younger clients and they really. I've only been in a low interest rate environment, so what they feel is normal versus I've been around the block a little bit longer, and what has been normal is kind of two different things. So we'll get into this a little bit more. You know, the Federal Reserve raised rates, and that's pushed the uh, interest rates higher. That's what, you know, in a very general sense. So, and this is all meant to slow down the economy, which is, you know, really key to some of what we're going to talk about today. So we can speculate that maybe the interest rates will come down towards the end of the year. This being an election year in 2024 or coming into 2024, you may see some rate cuts, you know, from an economic perspective and what the Fed does. Obviously, they raise rates really, really quickly uh, in th- in this round. Uh, some of the fastest pace I've ever seen, and, and I'm 59 years old. So um, with that said, usually when the Fed does stuff like this and they they're, they kind of overcook it by going too hard, too fast, they usually will pull back at some point because they don't want to stall the economy entirely. They've been waiting for the data to come out and show that the economy was slowing. They're probably expecting it back in late spring, early summer, and it wasn't really happening. So that's why we actually got a couple rate hikes uh, since June. So I think it's starting to show its its ugly head now. So let's get into the second topic of home prices, right? On the resale side, there has been a shortage, right? Obviously, raising the interest rates up to set, you know north of 7% now is meant to slow down the buying, right? So Post-COVID, it's a whole different world post-COVID from this perspective. And I'll probably talk about it a little later, what growth looked like and what stable growth versus unstable growth is. But from home prices perspective, you know, when money was cheap, you know, below 4% is cheap, historically cheap. 
that meant you could afford a higher priced house, right? Because you're not getting hit over the head by the interest rate. Well, now, obviously, like I said, they pumped up the rates. They're pushing 30-year fixed into almost almost 8%. That's meant to slow down buying, right? So home prices do need to react to this because money is becoming more expensive, right? So, you know, if I was buying a $500,000 house, whether I was paying three and a half or 8%, that's a different story in what I can afford. So now I, I kind of look at it this way too, that if you're in a sub 4% mortgage and you're deciding that you're going to sell your house, you're probably at your pre-retiree or retirement stage, meaning I have to have my exit strategy already built in AKA a second home that I'm already going to move into, or I'm buying for cash because part of the problem right now is if I'm going to get out of a, we'll just call it a three and a half percent mortgage and go buy something else. And the prices haven't changed. I'm paying a lot more for that house because I'm paying, you know, north of 7% interest. Okay. So that's probably talking to the pre-retiree, you know, or they're going into retirement that, you know, they might have an exit strategy already built down. What does that do for the people that are not in that stage? They're, they're the younger folks, right? I have, uh, I have younger clients. I have nephews that have, uh, they've bought their first house and now they're looking, they're, they're having kids, families expanding. They need to get into a bigger house. What happens with them? They're in a little bit of pickle and everybody's in a holding pattern in some respects, right? You, you got two things going on. You've got, People that are might be sitting in these three and a half percent mortgage homes and they don't have an exit strategy, so they're not going anywhere. So that hurts the supply side. Less houses on the market, right? And you got other people you still have demand out there, but they're now sitting back, right? So as supply increases, again, this is basically supply and demand one on one economics, is if you see supply increase that would usually force house prices down. In some instances, we're not, we haven't still seen that yet. I mean, I, I just had somebody sell a house in my neighborhood about a month and a half ago, had it sold in three days, five bids on the house, et cetera, et cetera. So they've always said that new construction has been a problem. And this is going back for the last five or 10 years. Not enough houses were being built. Well, I'm going to take the side now that there has been new construction. There is a surplus of inventory by by builders, and I'm talking nationally, not just in, in McCulloughton, New York metro area where I'm located, and they have built homes. So, But the homes they built were probably in the neighborhood of $500,000 to $700,000 in price range. Part of that reason that they're more expensive is labor costs and material costs went up after the pandemic. So you know, instead of building the three hundred to five hundred thousand dollar houses, they're building the more expensive houses. Now, when money was cheap, that wasn't a bigger problem, right? It's all factored into the equation. But um, now that we have, we've got inflation and we've got higher interest rates. Now they've got a problem, right? So they're actually sitting on this inventory. It's almost like a, a phantom inventory that's out there right now. I guess they're waiting for interest rates to come down, but you know, I don't, I don't see interest rates coming down to <laughs> the below sub four percent level. Let's just say that right now. And the way that they're holding this inventory on the side, and why I'm calling it phantom inventory, is because they've bought a piece of land. The builders they're paying taxes on that land, 
they're building these homes, but they're not getting certificate of occupancies on that home. So they're not paying taxes on the home. So these new homes are not getting on, let's say the, the real estate MLS listings, the, and, and such. So it's really off the grid. So some of the data that we're reading on, on, on some of these real estate numbers is actually flawed because it's not showing this new inventory. So data doesn't really equal reality. I think that's bubbling up now. I mean, I don't know how long they're going to sit on this because there's, there's some data and here it is. The cost of new construction sales is actually equal or less than buying a resale, which in the history of looking at this data, that has never been the case. Resale has always been cheaper, but new construction, as they're starting to release this inventory, the builders are giving you more perks. They're now going, oh, we'll put all new appliances in there, not just a few, we'll put them all in there. Or they're giving you other, other such perks to get you to buy. So that phantom inventory is starting to get released into the market. So here's that supply side, right? If that supply side's increasing, there might be pressure on the prices, just saying. There's another little nuance that I've seen, and that's the Airbnb world. And right now, data showing that the occupancy rates at Airbnbs are really low. Why that's important is there's some folks out there, some investors who have bought multiple properties in the intention of renting them out and doing these Airbnbs. And they use probably low interest loans to buy these properties, which now are probably coming due to be refinanced. And in a 3% world versus an 8% world, and you got to go refinance these properties, that's a problem. They've got two choices. Can they weather the storm? And they have enough cash and other, let's say, other investments that they can. If it's a smaller type investor that's doing this on the side, my bet is that they're probably going to have to start selling these properties. So just a little nuance to this real estate market that I want to throw in there. You know, the other topic we want to talk about is affordability. Right now, for the average income earners in the United States, only 23% can afford to go buy a new home. That statistic has always been around the 50% level. We're at 23%. So we have an affordability crisis. Okay, that makes sense. Prices are really high. Maybe payroll and wages haven't kept pace with the, we'll call it the real estate growth. By the way, this is looking at data in 20 of the major cities. So it's not, again, not this is not just for me here in, in the New York metro area. And to give you a little background about the real estate prices, and this is, lends itself to the affordability part, is that we had the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. Housing was actually starting to decline right around the end of 2007, and it, it kind of stayed downward all the way to 2015, right? There was obviously the financial crisis that happened, and real estate took a beating. People had to get out of properties, obviously forced prices lower. From 2015 to 2019, this is when we had some really good stable growth in the, in the real estate market, right? And I talked about stable growth earlier, and this is where I wanted to get to, was everything moves in cycles, whether we're talking about real estate, market returns, anything in life, pretty much. My weight loss <laughs> moves in cycles, all right? So 2015 to 2019, we had some really stable growth. 2020 to 2023, I would say that's unstable growth, right? That was all this pressure, people leaving metro areas, flooding into the urban areas. And we saw, again, I'll repeat what I said before, 
you know, this unrealistic buying that was going on. They were buying houses, cash only, no contingencies, which basically means no no inspections of the properties. They're just going to buy it and they're paying over the offering price. So that's unsustainable. You, you got to look farther down the road. And like I said, everything's in a cycle. I used to tell a story back in the day, you know, 15 years ago when markets were doing really well and I had clients like they wanted to buy three condos in Florida to rent. Same story as their Airbnb that I just told, right? I know when that's happening, we're at the top of the market and here we are, you know, 20 to 2023, you've got this unrealistic real estate market and it can't sustain itself. Again, you know, we're at the top of the curve here and we're coming back in. So some of the phenomena behind these mortgage rates is the Federal Reserve really kept interest rates really low for a long time. And probably we could do a whole nother podcast on whether this was good or bad. Okay. This was prior to the pandemic, right? We had interest rates coming down really for the last 30 years. Good for the bond market, not so good for retirement savings and everything else because we weren't getting paid on. You remember our money markets actually used to pay about three or four percent, and probably pre-pandemic we were down to like literally nothing, right? Now with interest rates pumping back up, you see those money market rates, those high yield savings accounts are back, paying pretty well too. A lot, you know, anywhere from four and a half to five and a quarter, roughly. Um, no risk return. Uh, you know that, that that sounds pretty good. So I think part of the reason why the Fed kept interest rates low for so long was there was this fear that the policymakers had of not letting the economy fall. This is a balancing act for them. Like, how do we keep economic growth and and not too much? You know, as we've seen now in the last couple of years with inflation rearing its ugly head. But how do we keep it tame enough that we don't fall into a recession? And then they were playing with these interest rates, and and they were, they were doing this for a while. Plus, they were doing quantitative easing. They did three rounds of it. Quantitative easing is basically the government's printing money, putting money into the economic system. So there's money supply, and that keeps economic growth, all right? My opinion is, is when I feel like they overdid it, is that when the economy retracts, and you know the fa- retract is a fancy word for recession. Bad businesses get flushed out, okay? And like anything else in the world, you need to get things back in alignment. And if there's bad business practices going on, well, maybe they should be flushed out instead of being kind of strung along here. And in 2019, we were heading for a recession. Things were starting to calm down and the pandemic hit. And Obviously, a very fearful time. GDP, gross domestic product, they were looking at some horrific numbers because of basically having everybody stay home and, and, and all that. So economic data was going to be horrible. They did take rates lower. Um, I wasn't against it at that time because I thought that the pro of it was going to outweigh the con of really some, maybe a really, really bad, dark economic time. So, But there were some other things that happened after the pandemic that are putting pressure on this whole situation. And one of them is we didn't have people paying student loan debt. We gave them forbearance, right? Even on some federal loans, there was forbearance, meaning you didn't have to pay your mortgage. And by the way, there were some stimulus checks that were sent out. I think that started in April of 2020. It was the first, uh, April 15th was the first check. There was even increased unemployment benefits thrown in there, either for a longer period of unemployment and an increased benefit. So there was a lot of money coming into 
the economy. There was a new, there was all new money, new money coming in, and that's where we saw inflation increase dramatically. Right, supply issues helped that as well. Right, uh, building a home and buying the lumber was exponentially more expensive, and then getting labor. Right, we were we were basically stuck at home for a while, and to get labor out there and, and make it worth worthwhile to get back out there was also an issue. So, what has happened? I think as of October, student loans are now you're required to start paying them back. Federal mortgage forbearance they have they've made it very very difficult for you to now to basically not pay your mortgage on a federal loan. So you'd have to have a really good reason for them to approve that now. So here's increased cost coming back onto your, you know, into your household, into your cash flow. And by the way, I was talking about kind of being handcuffed by your low rate mortgage. Um, and maybe you wanted to move because, hey, maybe I don't need that house anymore. Or, and my insurance costs have gone up or my HOA fee may be going in that, those types of communities. And by the way, maybe I have to do some capital improvements on the house, like an HVAC a heating unit. Well, what it used to cost and what it costs now are two different things, but I'm stuck in this house still because if I move, I got to, I got to jump up to this higher interest rate on the mortgage. So there's a lot of things going on. This is not a simple problem. So instead of heading into a retraction, you know, of the economy by 2019, we have had, I believe it's 172 months of recovery from the financial crisis. That has been the longest recovery that I think in, in economic history. So again, you know, listen, the pandemic, I don't want to, I don't want to sure change it. it was, it was a very bad and unique time. And I, if anybody told you we knew what was going to happen in the fall of 2020, I mean, there was all sorts of data coming out. There was going to be 10% unemployment. GDP number is going to be negative 30%. I mean, if somebody gave us a negative 3% in a quarter, it's a bad number. Imagine negative 30%. So uh, we just didn't know what was going to happen, right? So, and, and we're doing things to just make sure we, we didn't have a, a, a very dark time in our country. So 172 months of recovery. So that just can't be sustained, okay? And now you know why the Fed probably raised the interest rates as quick as they did. So Let's bring this all home. I told you I didn't want to. I don't want to get too long on this. I think we've hit a tipping point at eight percent. Okay, and I think the Fed is kind of starting to see these numbers starting to retract. And even though some of the data is flawed, as I mentioned, I start, they're starting to see it. I, I, I'm feeling more comfortable that they're not going to do at least one more cut. I think the interest rates are going to get. You know, we we may get a pullback in interest rates later in 2024. That's my prediction. I don't have a crystal ball. I, I kind of said it in the beginning. These are just my opinions, some of the data, some of the things that I read. Um, my crystal ball rolled off my desk a long time ago. But if I had to make a bet, I think we start pulling back a little bit, you know, election coming up, all that stuff. But do I think we get to a sub 4% level? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I think a healthier level would be the, f the 5 to 6% range. I don't think that's crazy to, for people to have to endure. Again, talk to some of the older folks. You, we could hear mortgages were north of twelve percent back in the eighties. You know, <laughs> like you know, it was a commitment buying a house. So, you know, I think we have some economic problems that we're going to have to sort out. Like I mentioned, you know, with with you know the forbearance kind of going away, and there's there's multiple factors here of having those interest rates low. Um, so, again, five to six percent would be a normal range for for thirty year fixed. If if I had to pick a sweet spot. On the affordability front, this is a tough one. You know, 
data shows Americans now have upwards of 20% more credit card debt than they did just in the last couple of years. Maybe they're not able to qualify for a loan as easily now. That's another issue. I mentioned student loan and, and mortgage forbearance disappearing. What can people actually afford? Now we got these cash flow items coming back online. Um, we're not getting stimulus checks. We're not having that extra cash. And by the way, here's a big stat. Two-thirds of all mortgages out there right now are below 4%. Again, I kind of call it the, the golden handcuffs, right? You're you're kind of stuck in this with this mortgage, great, it's cheap, bad that you're kind of stuck because think about it, if you're, you're a younger person and maybe you, you can actually get a job in another part of the country, are you now not taking that job because you're, you don't want to jump into another 7.5-8% mortgage because you got this low mortgage? I think that's, that's coming to fruition. I think that that's obviously in people's mindset. So home prices, they, they will need to come down. And what we really need here, we need home prices to start coming down and we need the interest rate to come down at a slow pace, not a super fast pace. Okay. We need, and that's, that, that's going to be a, a little bit of a dance to get both of them to, you know, kind of going together. I just spoke to a client this morning and he was looking at listings down in Florida outside the West Palm Beach area. And he literally told me, he says, I'm seeing new listings every day. And some of the listings I've seen, I'm seeing prices come down. So th- this is where I'm telling you, I think we're, we're at the tip of this right now. Some of the data isn't showing it, but you're seeing it in, real, in, the, in reality. So cost of money is higher. So obviously people can't afford you know, what they could afford, an $800,000 house. Maybe they can only afford a $500,000 house. I'm just using rough numbers. New construction coming online, as I mentioned, that, fi- that kind of phantom inventory you know what people can afford if if some of these line items expense items coming back online like paying their mortgage or you know unfortunately student loans that's going to happen unemployment is going higher that is skewed on this one by the way uh, i just read the other day that employers are almost like required to give people three to six months of, of severance. So when you ask the employee if, if they're unemployed, they say no. You ask the employer, they say yes. So that data skewed that we're seeing about what the actual employment level is. So that's happening. There are layoffs happening. You're starting to see more businesses in the news every day, either scaling back. Some are actually going out of business. So all these factors I just mentioned, they're going to bring real estate prices down. And I think it's a healthy thing. Like I said, this is a cycle and having unstable growth in anything, whether it's the market, the, the stock market, whether it's the real estate market, whenever anything gets overdone, it tries to revert to the mean or the average. They usually overshoot the average and go down to the bottom then shoot past it. And then the, then that becomes opportunity. Just as I mentioned, 2008, when housing retracted all the way to 2015, well, at some point, the opportunity started showing themselves again. The economy got a little healthier. People's balance sheets got better. Hey, you know, let's, there's opportunity. Let's buy some properties, okay? I think you're going to see from an affordability standpoint, you're going to see in the next 18 to 24 months, you're going to see all these prices coming down. You know, unless we see something else that's bigger economically happening, that, that that's kind of my unprofessional call here. Just what I'm seeing, what the data I'm looking at. So let's reel this back into, you know, what I do every day and, and working on with clients and their financial plans. How does this affect your plan? If you're in the market to buy a house, is your plan constructed right now 
and ready to pounce when if I'm if I'm let's say twelve months from now, all of a sudden there's opportunity and you, you can get into that that house you want to get into. You know, is your plan constructed right and ready to do that? If anybody's interested, Smallwood Wealth Management here, we we work with our proprietary software called the Wealth Curve. Love to have a Wealth Curve conversation with you and start just start talking about it. If you want your plan to be looked at again, I invite the conversation. Go to our website. We have a ton of resources there. There's other podcasts. I have some on there. My partner has on there. And there's ways to contact the office, of course, there too, and, and get in touch with us. So with that, I'm going to let this go. I hope this wasn't a big doom and gloom uh, you know, podcast. It's just, uh, it is what it is. There's, you know, things have to change a little bit. We, you know, can't be can't be riding these highs like this forever. They never do. They never do last. You've always, you know, dot-com bubble. You can, we can list them all out. But I hope this was informative. I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to doing another one of these real soon and putting them out there for you. And, uh, you know, as I always say, I have a motto and it's your life, your terms, you stay in control. And if you're working on your plan the right way, you can live that way. If you let other things creep into your plan, you end up losing control. So as always to my curve jumping nation, I appreciate you all for listening. And as always, we'll go WFO for the rest of the year. I appreciate you all. Thank you for your time. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Have a retirement or financial planning question for Ed? Connect now at smallwoodwealth.com. And while you're at it, click that subscribe button. Jumping the Wealth Curve is brought to you by Edward Bow, an investment advisor representative of Smallwood Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone, and the information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable. Their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action, as information and or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Smallwood Wealth Management provides content that is true and accurate as of the date of publishing. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of the content. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this website or podcast, and Disclaim all liability in respect to all information, including but not limited to any liability for errors in accuracy, omissions, misleading or defamatory statements. 